The White House is no longer mincing its words on the coronavirus lockdowns. On this, the 245th day of 15 days to slow the spread, the White House, specifically our wonderful White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany, who makes all of our hearts go pitter-patter, Kayleigh McEnany came out and used a perfect word to describe the ever-increasing COVID lockdowns. She called them Orwellian. I think uh, a lot of the guidelines you're seeing are Orwellian. Um, Let me start by saying the CDC has put out considerations as we prepare to go about Thanksgiving, about socially distancing, wearing masks, doing what you can. There's a whole list, a page of very good considerations. And in that, they say, uh, we're not recommending a certain number of people, but we are giving considerations that you should put in place. And I think that's the American way. The American people know how to protect their health. We've uh, dealt with COVID for many months, but it's Orwellian. It is Orwellian. There's a whole lot of newspeak going on, and there are a whole lot of thought police on the left. The left wants to defund the police. I think probably it would be a little wiser to defund the thought police, particularly as they ramp up their control. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from yesterday is from Bart Simpson. I imagine that's a pseudonym, but that's what he says his name is. Bart Simpson writes, funeral homes should add a Republican voting option for the deceased. I think that's absolutely true. You know, conservatives have long said, I think this is Chesterton's word, that uh, because we view tradition so highly, uh, because we look to our founding fathers, because we look to our ancestors, that we're the greatest Democrats of all because we don't just want to enfranchise the living people. We also want to enfranchise the people who came before us. We want to learn from from their wisdom. We want a democracy of the dead. And the left obviously took that suggestion and they really, they got it just a little bit wrong because what they ended up doing is putting ballots in the hands of dead people in states all over this country. Uh, But I, I agree, if the dead are going to be enfranchised, if we're going to do a lot of dead voter outreach, uh, we, need to, uh, we need to make sure that the Democrats lose their lock on that vote. I also have some exciting news for this show before we get into the thought police who are almost certainly going to come in and shut down all of the exciting news that we have. Uh, we are going to be adding a fifth show to the Michael Knowles show. You know, I've been getting off easy. I've been doing four shows per week since the beginning of this show. I take that fifth day. It's very important that I wake up early and start drinking and smoking cigars. And you just didn't need that. You know, you need a little mental health day, a little time to relax and unwind. Well, that is no more. We will be adding a fifth show starting very shortly. And we are going to be going to radio. A big announcement just came out last night. Uh, You know, I had such a great time filling in for Rush Limbaugh last Friday. It was such a thrill to do it, truly a singular honor. And then I find out this week that Westwood One is going to be syndicating the Michael Knowles show to terrestrial radio. I'm thrilled with this. Uh, Obviously, as big technology is coming in and clamping down on conservatives, and very often this show in particular, I'm very glad that we can expand to new markets and we can expand to new media as well all around the country. So you can check that out too. That's going to be coming January 4th. Very, very exciting stuff. I'm I'm really, you know, it's just a matter of responsibility to go out and make sure that we get our message out 
everywhere because people are coming after you uh, all the time. Uh, one other thing you can do to be very responsible is uh, refinance your high interest credit card balances. You know, you can be politically responsible, but you can be financially responsible too. You can save with a credit card consolation loan from Lightstream. Rates start at 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. The rate is fixed, so it will never go up over the cost of the loan, over the whole life of the loan rather. Uh, plus there are no fees. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. There's no bait and switch here. It's, it's really helpful. I've seen this in friends and family members. They will let high interest credit cards ruin their finances. Don't do it. You can save today. My listeners actually can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, that is L-I-G-H-T, S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Knowles. Subject to credit approval rates range from 5.95% APR to 19.99% APR and include 0.50% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply. Offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S for more information. Kaylee McEnany calls out the Orwellian guidelines. I'm pleased she did this. I, I felt the, the Trump administration handled this virus about as well as anybody could, but it still left a lot to be desired. You know, this was a, a sort of singular attack, both as a scientific and viral matter from China, and then as a political matter from the left in the United States, the way they exploited these lockdowns for political purposes. And early on, you heard President Trump, you know, using very cautious language about it. Now, though, the White House is saying, look, these guidelines are Orwellian. They're, they're absolutely over the top. This is the thought police coming in. Uh, you know, any, any term that you could imagine from George Orwell's 1984. You know, so, uh, the term Orwellian is overused. Sometimes people make fun of it. The reason it's overused is because many, if not most people, read 1984 in school. Well, today, I think people just read Ibram Kendi in school, you know, and White Fragility and all that stuff. But at least until very recently, you read 1984 in school. And so uh, people would use that term. And, uh, you know, people would ask, does this really describe our society? Or do people just use it because it's one of the few books that they actually have read? You know, it's sort of like how everyone compares every historical moment to the Holocaust or the fall of the Roman Empire, because of those are the only two historical events anyone knows anything about. However, the, the term Orwellian is apt here. It's well used. Kaylee McEnany was right. 1984 is a sort of political prophecy, right? It was written in 1948 and then published in 49. And it, it's about this dystopian future where an oppressive government is, you know, using the manipulation of language to change people's minds and they're enforcing radical behavior and promoting all sorts of all sorts of uh, radical ideas. Newspeak in particular, which is the language of 1984, is almost exactly a parallel to political correctness. But how did Orwell do this? I mean, the reason this describes society is because it's a political prophecy and prophets do not just predict the future. What prophets do is speak the truth. What, what, what George Orwell did here was not predict, oh gosh, how did he get it right? He had a crystal ball and he figured out what our politics would look like in 40 years or 50 years. No, he just saw what was happening in 1948. And then he extrapolated that out. We've discussed a little bit, the, I mean, just political correctness, which 1984 prophecies very well. Uh, you can see the origins of political correctness in the 1920s. So maybe it flourishes in the 80s and 90s, 
But if you were really paying attention, if you're a good observer, you saw that happening. And that's what's happening here. Specifically, the think poll, that's a, a term from 1984, refers to the thought police, you know, the, the experts who are constantly telling us what we can think, what we can't think, and who often preach one thing and practice another thing. You see this right now in the Democratic Party. Top politicians invoking the experts, the thought police, are telling you to avoid gatherings. They're telling you not to have Thanksgiving dinner. They're telling you if you do have Thanksgiving, you can only invite 10 people. So your least favorite children are not allowed to go to Thanksgiving. They have to sit outside. Maybe next year there'll be better girls and boys, and then they can get invited to Thanksgiving too. They're telling you to wear the masks, even though there's a huge new study just came out on masks that, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but uh, I told you so. Proves a lot of conservatives right, proves a lot of leftists wrong on that. And then those politicians violate all of the rules. Right, right now, maybe they've come home by now, but as of a few days ago, a number of California lawmakers were in Maui. Uh, they were there with a number of lawmakers from other places, Texas and Washington State. They were there as part of the Independent Voter Project Conference, which has been going on for more than a decade. It took place at the Fairmont Kealani on Maui's southwest shore. Uh, they, they shrunk the size of this conference this year. Usually they book 120 rooms. This year it was only 50. 50 people from three different states, lawmakers, liberals, fly to this beautiful shore in Maui, and they gather together, and they have nice wine, and they have nice food, and they just have a lovely vacation. You're not allowed to go see your dying relatives. You're not allowed to go to church. But Democratic lawmakers, they're allowed to go to Maui with one another because they are not afraid of the virus. They don't take this seriously at all. I highly doubt that any of them are wearing masks. In fact, if you look at some of the pictures floating around, they're obviously not wearing masks because they don't believe this stuff. They're not living their life in fear of the virus. Neither am I because I don't believe the politicians. But, but sadly, a lot of people do believe these politicians, these sociopaths. And it's a, a huge violation of the public trust to do that. It's not just a few silly politicians because you might say, well, I don't know, those those Democrat lawmakers, they just don't know any better. You know, they should be listening to the experts. I'm right to, to cancel Thanksgiving and wear the mask everywhere. They're wrong. But actually, actually, even the top medical experts are ignoring these coronavirus guidelines in a truly Orwellian manner. So you, you saw yesterday, we actually played it on the show, Governor Gavin Newsom, who's Mussolini, he's trying to lock down the whole state again. Mussolini gets caught going to a very fancy birthday party, which he said was outdoors, but it actually looks like it was indoors, at the French Laundry, which is a Michelin-rated, extraordinarily expensive restaurant. It's like $350 or $400 a plate. And he was there with a lot of his friends, and they were all shoulder to shoulder, and nobody was wearing masks, and everybody was swilling great wine, and no one was afraid of this virus that they tell you you have to live your life cowering in fear of. Then he got caught, and he made an apology and he tried to, you know, move past it and say, okay, no big deal. Turns out it wasn't just Newsom there. Turns out some of California's top medical authorities were there as well. So here we had the California Medical Association CEO, Dustin Corcoran. He was there. The California Medical Association lobbyist, Janice Norman, were both at this dinner. So you can't just say, well, the politicians aren't listening to the experts. The experts themselves, the, the top dogs at this medical association, they don't care about the virus. They're not worried. Of course they're not worried. 
It has a very, 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 very low mortality rate. It always has, but especially now. If you look, people are always talking about how the cases are spiking throughout the country. And it was such a slate of hand because the media went from reporting on deaths and hospitalizations to the cases. But look at the deaths. You see the cases spiking up. But if you look at the deaths, they're way, 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 way down. They're barely registering on the graphs. Good thing, right? We now have these treatments. We now have these vaccines. We now, and we have actually for some time had treatments for the virus. And yet these people tell you, you've got to live in fear. Well, they do not themselves. If that isn't Orwellian, I don't know what is. And by the way, the last holdout for them are the masks. And we talked a little yesterday about why there's this divide over the masks. It seems conservatives hate the masks. Liberals love the masks. And some squishy people say, why do the masks have to be political? And the masks have to be political because they're a public matter. <laughs> when you've got <laughs> hundreds of millions of people all masking themselves like banditos in public, that is a political question because it affects how our society works, how it's governed, how you can go into shops, how you can go into access government services, how you can go into restaurants, how you can go to church or if you can't go to church. Obviously, that is political. And I have been saying from the very beginning that these, the efficacy of these masks has been overstated. I have regularly cited epidemiologists who have backed me up on this, even though I take those studies with a grain of salt. I figure if the studies are, are to be invoked, then we should at least point out the ones that support the conservative point of view. Pointed out that Dr. Fauci said masks are BS in the beginning of this. Pointed out that the Surgeon General said that masks are BS in the beginning of this. Then, through political correctness, they changed their tune. Talk about Orwellian, that which is not prohibited is compulsory. Now we have a study that even the New York Times had to report on out of Denmark that shows the masks are much, 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 much less effective than we are told that they are. Imagine that. Imagine that. What a, what a true underdog story that uh, it, it's just a handful of conservatives against all the experts and it turns out we were right. Speaking of true underdog stories, you got to check out this true underdog podcast. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. After hearing the words no or you can't too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to becoming a billion-dollar enterprise. Join us as Waller, a four-time Entrepreneur of the Year winner, shares motivational tips and inspiring stories and business-building lessons from the ground up. He shares his life experiences and those of his high-profile guests to help others better themselves. As Waller will tell you, there is no elevator to success. The climb only happens one step at a time. Let every true underdog podcast be a step that elevates you. Scared money won't make money. Learn about failure. Learn about entrepreneurship. Learn about never quitting or making excuses. It's real. It's raw. It's motivational. Check out True Underdog Podcast at trueunderdog.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. This Danish study, I love it. You know, I, I don't usually enjoy reading the New York Times. About once a year, I enjoy reading the New York Times, and it's when stories like this come out. They were wrong. The alarmists were wrong. The masks do not protect the people wearing the masks, according to this study. The Danish researchers found out that mask wearers were not protected from becoming infected by the coronavirus any more than their maskless counterparts. This contradicts the mainstream consensus. This contradicts the CDC, which has gotten so much of this wrong. And it reminds us that 
scientific discoveries are not made by consensus. This is when I want to bang my head against a wall. When I hear people, whether it's in climate change or the coronavirus or anything else, say, well, Michael, the majority of scientific experts say blah, blah, blah. Okay, so what? Is it true or is it not true? Science is not a democratic process. Material inquiry, free thought for that matter, forget just this narrow realm of material scientific inquiry, all free thought, all science in the broader sense, meaning knowledge, is not a democratic inquiry. In fact, the truth is very often unpopular. Actually, consensus is is usually a sign that uh, perhaps some thinking has gone a little bit wrong. And that's what apparently happened here. These surgical masks did not, we're talking about surgical masks, did not protect the wearers against infection with the coronavirus in a large randomized clinical trial. So if the surgical masks aren't going to do it, probably your little hanky that you wear or your dirty bandana or, or whatever you're wearing on your face isn't going to do very much either. Now, there is still an open question as to whether or not the masks will protect the virus from spreading. And there's still an open question about how exactly the virus spreads. And we're, there's still open questions about those much discussed droplets. Okay. Most people are wearing the mask to protect themselves. They might even say that they're not wearing the mask for that reason, but that's obviously why they are wearing the mask. They'll walk by you and they'll put out, pull up the mask. Actually, I'll give you the, the great example of how I know this is true. I don't wear the mask. I almost never wear the mask. I've always thought it's completely ridiculous. And I certainly am not going to wear the mask if I'm walking around outside. And when I'm walking around outside and I encounter some very, very scared looking liberal millennials, and you can always tell whether it's the haircut or the, maybe there's like a, I don't know, lots of kind of weird, you can just tell, you know, They've got with the clothing and you can see a mile away, a liberal millennial. I'm walking and they see me without a mask and they, their eyes bug out like Don Knotts on, on the Andy Griffith show. You know, I just pop right out of their head and they'll immediately, even if they're not wearing it, they'll pull that mask up right over their nose. Are they pulling that mask up right over their nose because they're afraid of infecting me with the virus? No. I'm obviously not concerned in any way about <laughs> being affected with the vi- infected with the virus. Not because I don't think I can get it, just because I'm, I actually think there's a very good chance that I will get it at some point. But because I'm not going to live my life in absolute fear, and because I don't think the masks are going to be particularly effective at protecting me from the virus anyway, so I don't wear it. And I'm, by the way, I'm backed up by this Danish study. They pull it up to protect themselves. And what we now know, if you're one for believe in studies, is that that is completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. But it is Orwellian. Especially, and people forget it now, but especially the way the masks went from, don't do it, only idiots wear masks. Eric Swalwell, remember the former future president, Eric Swalwell, said if you wear the masks, stop buying the masks, people, stop doing it, it's dumb, don't do it. Now we all we all have to wear the masks. That was a real Orwellian flip in, in the way that in 1984, the, the country, Oceania, will just switch which country they're at war with. One day they're at war with East Asia, but they've always been at war with East Asia. One day they're at war with Eurasia, but they've always been at war with Eurasia. They constantly, they send ideas down the memory hole. They rewrite history. That's what we're seeing. But there's another feature of 1984 that makes this moment Orwellian. And it's not, everyone's focusing on the new speak and political correctness and the rewriting of history and all that. Yeah, it's very important. The other aspect, and I suppose it's a minor part of the book, is 
that it's not, 1984 is not just about creating a uniformity of pleasure. It's not just about creating a, a kind of a total conforming love. It's also about creating a uniformity of hate. It's also, I mean, there's a, there is a practice in the book called the two minutes hate. And every day, everyone will gather around the, the screens all over them. And the villain, the contrived imaginary villain will pop on screen and everyone just has to hate him. And you just have to hate this guy so much and then that's over and you can go back to your work. We have two minutes hate here in America. We have two minutes hate and we, we actually just saw it in a viral video that some, some friends and some listeners to the show have sent to me asking what exactly white people are superior at, which we will get to in one moment. But as we discuss this Orwellian culture, it's important to remember that you've got to protect your rights and institutions. One great way to do that is to exercise your second amendment rights. And the best way to do that is to have a great holster. The pending results of the election will doubtlessly cause a spike in gun sales. It's already happening. If you, if you want to get a gun, I thought I'd move to Tennessee and I could just buy like a zillion guns. It's very difficult. There are actually a lot of shortages. If you are making a firearms purchase because you're worried about the future of the second amendment, I want you to be safe, responsible, and carry with a We the People holster. Starting at just 40 bucks, 40 bucks for a really high-end holster. It's unheard of. We the People holsters are custom designed to fit your firearm perfectly. They're made right here in the USA. Also unheard of these days because we exported everything overseas. We the People holsters have thousands of options to choose from, plus an amazing selection of printed holsters. Their proprietary clip design allows for you to easily adjust both the cant and ride of your holster so that it will fit comfortably and securely at all times. I especially love that these, these holsters are made in America, uh, but the thing I can't get over, usually things made in America cost a ton of money. These are so inexpensive. Every holster ships free and comes with a lifetime guarantee. Plus right now you can get an additional $10 off with the promo code Knowles. So it was 40 bucks, which was already extremely low. Now you get it down to 30. Makes a great gift and satisfaction is guaranteed. If it's not a perfect fit, send it back for a total refund. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash Knowles. WeThePeopleHolsters.com slash Knowles. Offer code Knowles. What exactly are white people good at? That is a question being asked in a video that has gone very viral on a huge YouTube channel. I think it has something like 10 million subscribers to this channel. This is the current embodiment of the Orwellian concept of two minutes hate, of dehumanizing people, of suppressing one's own empathy, trying to stamp out one's own empathy, ironically in the name of equity and justice and compassion. The video opens up with a simple question. What are white people superior at? They're asking people who I think they're all black, but you know, some, I don't know, race is sometimes a blurry thing. So who knows? But I, I guess at least the premise is that this outlet is asking black people, what are white people superior at? It starts out funny enough. What exactly are white people superior at? Oh, well, according to television, everything. A white man could fly. Even a white woman, she could be four foot one. She knew karate. She could take down 15 people. What are white people superior at? Man. Huh. Um. Uh. <laughs> Oh, God. What are white people superior at? <laughs> they, they just keep talking. Mostly about their pets. White people love their dogs. Like, that's all you see. Cats. 
letting them get on your countertops while you're cooking, yes. I get that you love your pet, but like you need to take it everywhere, like everywhere. I guess, you know, hey, emotional support animals, I guess. What exactly are white people superior at? <laughs> Men like making cereal. Casseroles. What kind of casserole? Tuna. It's always tuna. What do you mean? It's always tuna. Using mayonnaise in a lot of their recipes. Making bland food. Unseasoned chicken. Okay, so it starts out funny enough. It's kind of an interesting aspect of the video that a number of these people are obviously part white. I mean, they're obviously, some people would be indistinguishable from white people, but they identify, maybe they're of mixed race or something like that, as many, many people are, but they identify as black and they identify sort of against being white, even, even if they are in part white. But, you know, I, I think these comments are actually pretty funny. What are white people good at? I don't know, making cereal? Yes, that's true. White people do prefer cereal. Uh, you know, uh, what are white people, what are they good, superior at? Oh, uh, making tuna casserole with lots of mayonnaise. Yeah, that's true. Guilty as charged. <laughs> I do. I love a tuna melt. Call me. I know I'm a little swarthy to be a wasp, but I do. Okay, that's kind of, that's kind of funny. Of course, there's a hypocrisy here because if another channel went out and asked the question, what are black people superior at? And they gave any answers similar to this about food or anything else, you know, the, the makers of that video would be canceled. They would be ostracized. They would probably be sent away from the country and banished. They would lose their job. It would be called racist and white supremacist. Sure, there's that hypocrisy, but I'm just judging on the quality of the video itself. Yeah, it's kind of funny. White people do take their dogs too many places. It drives me absolutely insane. And it's almost always white people on the little planes with the little yappy things. It, in the restaurants now, all these millennial white women pretend that they're little poodles, or little mini poodles or emotional support animals. It is ridiculous. It's a funny thing. We can laugh at that. Okay. But then the video takes a turn because then it stops being about these funny cultural and racial differences. Then it becomes about resentment. White people are great at having fun. That's a function of white supremacy because they just don't have as many stresses as we do. White people are very superior at their privilege and utilizing it. We do not have the privilege to do whatever and however we want to. What exactly are white people superior at? Uh, not getting arrested. You know, I was driving down the street with, uh, down the highway with a friend of mine who was white and he was like, I need to, I'm just gonna pull over and pee. And I'm in the passenger seat and I was like, please don't. Because a black man thinks differently. If I pull over to the side of the road and pee, a cop is going to be right behind me to punish me. What exactly are white people superior at? Insecurity. Pretending. Fear. Being fearful of nothing. Being ignorant. Blame. Letting their egos control their every move. Privilege. Privilege. Feeling victimized. Playing the victim. Congratulating themselves over that they're incompetent at <laughs> or that should have already been done. They're superior at being dicks. Whoa. That's some pretty bigoted stuff right there, isn't it? These people are, are pretty vicious racial bigots, aren't they? This stopped being funny all of a sudden. The, I mean, these actually are bigots. I mean, the things they're saying are, are, are deeply bigoted and, and wrong and immoral. And the thing about it is, just like with all bigots, it's not even necessarily the case that they're wrong about the other guy. Andrew Clavin makes this point a lot. The, the thing about bigots that we all get wrong is it's not that they're necessarily wrong about what, what they're saying about the other guy. It's that they're wrong about themselves. They don't recognize that they have the problems that they're accusing these people that they despise of having. One, one of the lines here is that white people are really good at playing the victim. The, the entire premise of this video is to play the victim, right? So obviously, if you're going to accuse the other guy of that while you are doing it yourself, there is some 
hypocrisy there. And then one of the lies of this video is they're pretending that this is a racial distinction, primarily. And I guess it might be in the case of they don't like white people. But it's not a racial distinction in who is making the video. They're trying to pretend that this group of performers are representative of black people. They're not. One of these guys was wearing an Angela Davis t-shirt. Angela Davis is one of the most infamous communists in the country. Another guy was wearing a t-shirt that said dismantle. These are not a, a random sampling of black Americans. These are radical, radical leftists, some of the most radical of all of them, right? We're talking about people with kind of crazy uh, political ideologies uh, sort of represented in sort of crazy outfits because the one thing that the left is trying to do in particular is suppress this idea that black people are permitted to think for themselves. Clarence Thomas made this point during the, the Anita Hill hearings in the early 1990s when he described his confirmation process as a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves. President Trump has been saying since 2016, come on, leave the left. They haven't done anything for you. And he made huge inroads among the black population. I don't think any of those black Americans were permitted to be in this video. What the left is trying to do is contrive and gin up racial resentment to uh, affect their political goals. They don't care about black people at all or any other racial group. What they care about is that Angela Davis picture. What they care about is the ideology that she represents, radical leftism. And then they say, they have the audacity to say in this video that uh, what one thing white people are very superior at is controlling the narrative. What exactly are white people superior at? Making us believe that we don't matter. Believing that they're superior. Feeling superior. Thinking they're superior. Thinking that they're superior. Thinking that they are superior. Self-delusion. Controlling the narrative. Believing their own press. Marketing of white superiority. Whether you are Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're conservative, like white people are really good at upholding white supremacy. How about claiming that, you know, they are actually a whole separate race when actually white DNA comes from the black female? Hold on a second. I, I'm not, I'm not going to make the biological uh, question. I'm not going to take the biological question seriously of whether or not I came from a black female. I mean, I did come from a Sicilian female who is darker than probably most people in this country. But regardless of that point, you've just spent the whole video castigating white people as a race. We talked about this yesterday. White I, racial consciousness is very, very low in this. Pew Research showed this. White racial consciousness is something like 15%. Every other race, it's over 50%. So yeah, I don't, I don't think about whiteness or being white or anything like that, almost ever. But you can't make a whole video saying white people are terrible, white people are oppressive, white people do this, white people do that. And also they think they're a race. No, I don't. You think so. You're the one making that argument. The left is the one making that argument because it's politically advantageous. But controlling the narrative, every institution in America has spent millions of dollars practically and has spent nine months uttering the phrase Black Lives Matter. You couldn't, you could never make this kind of a video in the other direction, but of course you can in, in this direction. And it gets, it gets way worse than that. We'll skip around. But it ends on a point that, that the left is always trying to make. It's an Orwellian point for that matter. It, it makes this whole racist, bigoted, awful kind of argument, the whole video. And then they try to end on an egalitarian tone of equality. Just because our skin color is different, you're no better than me. You're no smarter than me. No, no superiority there. No superiority. Yeah. Okay. I'm, no, no one is making the claim that white people are superior and you know, they are, that's a flat statement. White people are superior, but 
This video is making the claim that white people are inferior on the basis of their race. That's not egalitarian at all. There's nothing, and there's no reason anyone should take that seriously. If this were in the other direction, that channel would be taken off of YouTube right now. Perhaps it should be. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm all for, uh, for hearing out various points of view. The left certainly isn't though. Imagine if that were in the other direction. You know, there, we've seen a, a number of racial hate hoaxes over the years. They've cropped up. We just got another one. Clifton Utsi, 18 years old, just claimed his BMW was vandalized in a hate crime, that the SUV was spray painted with racist slurs, including the N-word, including the KKK, uh, messages against Black Lives Matter. And the minute I saw this story, I said, that didn't happen. It didn't happen. I know it didn't happen because that, that is not the sort of thing that happens as a rule in America. That is the sort of thing that the left believes happens as a rule in America. It's why it's so easy to point these out. And it's why the left always falls for these and the conservatives do not. Well, turns out I was right. Uh, this was perpetrated by the alleged victim himself, Mr. Yutzi. Uh, he also uh, put a message, a, a pro Donald Trump message on there, put sugar in his own gas tank. That's too bad. It was insurance fraud and uh, Erie County. Uh, and uh, this is obviously, uh, I, I believe this was in Erie County, Pennsylvania, somewhere over there. Uh, they are now going to charge this guy for lots of crimes, as they should, because this sort of thing really, really rips up America, and it is just a crime in itself to commit insurance fraud. Normal and decent people of all races, not these radicals and these race hustlers like this guy, Yutzi, or like the people in that video, but normal, the, the majority, normal, decent people of all races reject this stuff. You actually just saw it in California. California tried to reinstitute racial quotas racial biases in hiring to disadvantage, I guess, whites, whites and Asians and to give advantage to black and Hispanic uh, applicants for various jobs. And that proposition failed. It failed 57 to 43%. And it, it failed not just because white people voted against it, not even in particular because white people voted against it, because racial minorities voted against it, Latinos in particular, who would have benefited from the, from the, the program. That's a good sign. And it reminds me, Clarence Thomas said this very same thing. He wrote it in his, his memoir. These kinds of uh, quotas, these kind of programs, these kind of what, what Michael Gerson called the, the soft biggest bigotry of low expectations, these sorts of things do not just hurt you know, Asians or white people or even the country broadly. They hurt the people that they purport to help because they damage their dignity because they put them on an unequal playing field. You know, you hear this phrase, no one's equal until everybody's equal. Yeah, well, okay, sure. If that's true, it's certainly true in this case as well. And I think you're seeing people of, of all races waking up to that. That's a, that's a very helpful thing. Uh, right before we get to the mailbag, important to note, uh, just a, an election update. I know everyone thinks the election's over. It is actually not over. There is a legal process playing out. Joe Biden is not the president-elect, much as the media want to pretend that he is. We talked about yesterday how a county in Georgia just discovered a, a pro-Trump county it turns out their votes weren't counted and the votes went overwhelmingly for Trump. So they finally discovered those votes. Well, a second county in Georgia has just found a memory card with thousands of votes on it that had not been uploaded into the system used in the state. And the majority of those votes were for Donald Trump. This is Fayette County. Now, the, uh, we were being told that this was more easily discoverable than the last problem that was in Floyd County. Well, if it was more is easily discoverable, why did they discover it afterward? doesn't make a lot of sense. How many memory sticks have gone missing in this country? One of the vulnerabilities of digital voting, and there are many others as well, 
one of the vulnerabilities of widespread mail-ins for that matter. Boxes of ballots go missing because they come in at different times. Who knows where they're being stored? Trump campaign's got a tough road ahead. They've got to prove massive voter fraud. Uh, they've discussed, I talked to Rudy Giuliani just on Friday and he said that they've got a strong case. They're going to have to make that case. The election is not over yet. The evidence of shenanigans continues to mount. We have got to get to the mailbag. But I have got first to tell you why I'm so excited to start up this whole new year in this whole new place because there's going to be a whole new me. I'm about to get buff, buddy. I am so, I just got it a couple of days ago. My total gym. The premier model, the Total Gym Fit, gives a full body workout in the comfort of my home for about half the price of those expensive fitness bikes. The thing about, do you remember in the 90s, you saw those commercials with uh, Chuck Norris, Christy Brinkley, you remember those? Uh, Chuck Norris is still, I believe, the spokesman. I'm going to be the next Chuck Norris, okay? Mark my words. Chuck Knowles, that's going to be me. You can do over 85 exercises on one machine, whether you're a beginner or advanced. They have everything you need to get in the best shape of your life, burn calories, and lose weight. What makes it so effective is it works every muscle group using 12 levels of resistance. You can work your core, you can work your arms, you can work your shoulders, biceps, thighs, your whole body, and a complete workout takes just 10 to 15. Maybe you want to extend it to 20 minutes a day, but that's good. We can all carve out that kind of time. Now they have Total Gym TV with tons of on-demand workouts. It's great. They've been making equipment for 45 years. They have an A-plus, Better Business Bureau rating. You know that you can trust them. Head on over. Total Gym is offering a 30-day in-home trial on the Total Gym Fit for just $1. $1. What have you got to lose? No matter which Total Gym you try, my listeners will get an additional 20% off whatever discount they're currently running. Head to This is the best, best deal you're going to get. TotalGymDirect.com slash Knowles. Get the special offer. You have to go to this URL, TotalGymDirect.com slash Knowles. Get an additional 20% off. Or you can call them. Talk to an actual human being. 1-800-311-7166. 1-800-311-7166. We'll be right back with the mailbag. Always running late on the mailbag, but I'm going to fly through these questions and give you the answers that you desire. From Isaac, dear Michael, my girlfriend voted for Trump in 2020 after voting for Clinton and Obama in past elections. Wow, that's great. However, recently we faced some disagreements over masculinity and femininity. Uh, for example, the, the Harry Styles, Candace Owens incident. Uh, she believes that traditional manly activities such as chopping wood or fishing are shared by men who oppressed women. I explained that oppression itself is a vague argument and that doing the manly aforementioned activities are also conducted by men who believe in respecting and protecting women, which signaled a whole deluge of arguments. Have you and sweet little Elisa faced any such arguments? If so, how did you deal with them? Best regards. No, we, we really haven't. I mean, sweet little Elisa and I have, have known each other since we were 10 years old. So uh, it's, maybe at some point something came up, but no, I can't really think of it. Certainly not in our uh, marriage or romantic life together because we just reject feminism. We just reject it. If you reject feminism, your relationship, your marriage will get better. Throw it out. I know that we're not supposed to do that. We're, we're supposed to pretend that feminism is about respecting women. And we're supposed to pretend that, oh, no, maybe the new feminism is bad, but the old feminism is good. And yeah, no, some parts of feminism, no, just get rid of it. It's just, it's a false ideology. It's a nefarious ideology. It's based on a false anthropology and it makes everybody miserable, most especially women. It's just bad. Get rid of it. It's an ideology. It's not about, people were told it's about sexual equality. It's not, it's called feminism. It's not called 
humanism. It's not called humanitarianism. It's called feminism. And it, it, it's a, a self-contradictory ideology in many ways. It's got many different offshoots, and it's just wrong. It posits, most importantly, that in the olden, terrible days of the past, women were victims, and now we've got to break off our shackles and liberate ourselves. And that way it shares, it, it's just an offshoot of Marxism and various other modern ideologies. And even be, before Marxism, you, don't, you know, everyone always blames Marx for everything. He was a very bad guy with very bad ideas, but this goes even, even earlier than Marx to the idea of liberation, a personal liberation, individual liberation as the primary goal of politics, which by the way, goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden. When we were told ye shall be as gods, when we were told to disobey the moral order and you, that will make you free and it will make you happy. And guess what? It didn't. It made us all um, miserable and mortal and uh, left us all to die. Uh, The same thing is true today. Get rid of, get rid of feminism. You'll have a much better life. Men and women are not constantly warring against one another. There will not be a war of the sexes because, of course, everybody is sleeping with the enemy. Men and women are complementary. They go together well. Women make me wake up in the morning. I wake up every morning. I think, oh my gosh. And not just because sweet little Elisa has an omelet ready to go. Because sweet little Elisa in particular, but then women generally, the, the sexual difference generally is a beautiful thing about the world. And we should enjoy that. And Men have virtues, the word virtue, right, as veer, means man, and women have virtues, and we should enjoy those and not think that we're all just out to get one another. From Travis, hello, Michael. What did Abigail Adams mean? Well, here's another feminist question. What did Abigail Adams mean when she told John to remember the ladies? It's a very famous line in a letter she wrote. Did he let her down? I have heard she simply wanted him to remember he was representing women. But it seems to me she is asking him to allow women to represent themselves. What is your take on all of this? Many thanks. I I think that the feminism of Abigail Adams is a little bit overstated. Uh, But yes, she she was asking for more political representation for women. The uh, the whole, I think think we had them pull the the whole letter. Yeah, the whole letter from Abigail Adams says, or, or the whole passage that's crucial here, By the way, in the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. If particular care and attention is not paid to the ladies, we are determined to foment a rebellion and will not hold ourselves bound by any laws in which we have no voice or representation." This is read that Abigail Adams was, was demanding the, the vote. Uh, probably that's not the case. What she, was, what she was demanding better legal protection for women from their husbands. She was demanding better protection for women, for instance, to own property. Uh, she was demanding that women be better represented in the government. Sure. But the, the idea to, that we would read her as a 21st century feminist, I think, is silly. She did have a little proto-feminism to her. There's no question about that. And it's, it's also hard to tell how uh, hyperbolic she's being, if there's any irony or slight irony in her language. We do know that John Adams disregarded that part of the letter, but he did consult his wife. He had great respect for his wife. He consulted her on a lot of political matters. And uh, so that is the case. Rather than this ideological idea of just the uniformity of progress, you know, the science of progress, the science of history that the left is always selling us on, that basically women were chattel slaves and now they're finally free liberated beings because they're permitted to, you know, go on Tinder and sleep with a bunch of men and become middle managers at the widget company because that, that is like the peak of human flourishing. 
that's, that's obviously a very silly argument to make. Some eras are better for women, some eras are worse. Some cultures are better for women, some cultures are worse. Some, some geographic regions are, are better for women, some, some are worse. The thing to focus on is not this kind of silly view of history is always getting better, but to focus on, on virtue and, and to focus on that, that personal care that one can have within a relationship, which was a very, a very successful marriage like John Adams and Abigail Adams. From Steve, dear Michael, a friend asked a question that I could not answer. He uh, would being entitled, he said that being entitled to the labor of healthcare workers under government-run healthcare uh, would not be different than being entitled to the labor of police and fire personnel. How, how would that be the case? I believe the government has a role in protecting its citizens and does not have a role in providing free health care. But how would I argue the difference to someone who believes health care should be a right? Thank you for all that you do. Great, great question. This is a really good question. I think we've got to stop using such liberal language. We conservatives use very liberal language. And what I mean by that is not that we necessarily use progressive or leftist language all the time, but we use liberal language as opposed to conservative language in that we're arguing in purely abstract terms, in these purely uh, abstract ways, without talking about the real institutions. I think your friend actually raises an important objection. Why is it that having government-run health care is socialism, but having government-run police and fire departments is not socialism? Well, it's because those are different products, right? Those are different things. The pr- protection of one's life against uh, marauders, the protection of civil society and the rule of law is one thing, and it's different than providing advanced medical care, which is always changing. But sure, it may, it may well be the case that we pass a law in this country and say you're, you're entitled to health care now. What has changed is not the metaphysical character of government. What has changed is not necessarily tearing up the Constitution, though it might have some constitutional problems. What has changed is then the nature of healthcare. Right now, people get into healthcare. They believe it's a private field. They have certain expectations of how much money they can make, of how they can work, the freedom that they'll have. We, the, the American people, have an expectation of a certain amount of freedom in our medical care. And then the government's going to take it over and change the product. They will outlaw that old product. They will make a new product, which is government healthcare. It will turn healthcare workers into government employees. That's a different thing. And that has a lot of problems. I would stop arguing about this at a purely abstract metaphysical level and say, I have the right to to this. You're violating my natural right to, to not pay this amount of tax for healthcare, but to pay this amount of tax for police or something. I think that gets too muddy. I think it is overstated. I think it accepts too many libertarian premises, which are not defensible and are not true and are, are counterproductive. I think what we have to do is argue from a conservative point of view, which would be one of practical questions, which would be one of prudence, which would be one of saying, well, this would be better than this thing would be better than this thing. The reason that we shouldn't have socialist medicine is because we have the greatest healthcare system in the world. Everyone who wants good healthcare comes here. We do, it's good for everybody. It's better for some people, obviously. Healthcare will always be better for rich people. I don't care how communist your healthcare system is. The rich will get better medical care than the poor. I've, I've been to Cuba. I've been by that hospital. I've talked to Cuban people. You are being lied to if you believe that the Cuban healthcare is equal for everybody. It certainly is not, and it isn't anywhere else in the world. We have a good system and we shouldn't break it. That's a prudential argument. We like to have medical choice and it will, we won't like not having medical choice. That's a prudential argument. That's an argument of taste. That's an argument of culture. That's an argument of tradition. The government is not good at running these massive bureaucracies. 
Corporations aren't that good at it either, but at least there's a little bit of free choice. Can we reform either of those? Sure. Again, that's not just a purely principled metaphysical argument. That's a practical argument. That's where we should start making those arguments. I think those are more convincing. I think those are more defensible. I don't think people want to privatize the police, except for a handful of, you know, very (laughs) ideological libertarians. I don't think people want to necessarily totally privatize the fire department, but certainly not the police. And I don't think people want to totally make a, a government-run healthcare system. Maybe they want a little bit of a government-run healthcare system. We actually already have that in some ways. But the, the way we're going to win that argument is from defensible premises that it will be made practically appealing to people. You know, this is something that Donald Trump has shown us over the last four years. I hope he gets another four to show us this. You don't need to have this perfect ideological, especially libertarian purity. That's, that's something Trump broke. That's why the never Trumpers became never Trumpers is because they were so furious that he wouldn't espouse their same bumper stickers and their same slogans. They were so furious that he would just talk to people and he's talking in a practical way. And they said, that's not true conservatism. Yes, it is. It's much more conservative than the bumper sticker dime store philosophizing that we'd been getting for 20 or 30 years previously from people who were only speaking the abstract and were ignoring actual Americans who, who actually on the right were committing the same problems that they accused the left of committing, where the left will always say, who cares if it works in practice? Does it work in theory? Too many conservatives, quote unquote, were doing that too. And I, I think that we, if we learn any lessons from Trump, that ought to be one of them. Talk about prudence, talk about practice, talk about personal relationships, getting back to the earlier mailbag questions. Talk about real things. Don't get so lost in your own theories and ideology that you become disconnected from the rest of the world, that you become, to use an overused but apt word, Orwellian. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico, audio mixer, Robin Fenderson, hair and makeup, Nika Geneva, and production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. See you there.